My next guest has covered arts and culture for many of Canada's top newspaper and online publications. The Toronto Star, Saturday Night Magazine, The National Post, CBC, The Walrus, and many others. She also co-hosts a popular Hindi language podcast about Bollywood movies. Today, she uncovers important local stories here in Scarborough for the new media startup company, The Discourse. She's with me here in Toronto's 100th library, the Scarborough Civic Centre Library. Please welcome to the show, Aparita Bandari. Thanks, Kareem. Did I do that? That's exactly okay. right. Thank you, Kareem, for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Thank you for, I was going to say thank you for coming, but you're always here, it seems. Every Thursday, I'm here. Come and see me. Thanks for allowing me to, to come here and, and, and chat with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we started recording, I, I found out you're you you fast. You're you're one of the interim in fasters. I am. You know, it's one of those things. I grew up with uh, fasting around in my family in the Hindu tradition. Mm-hmm. There's often time. You know, people will pick days, and uh, it's for some religious purpose. And I always found it like not necessary. <laughs> but now, as an adult, I uh, I have come to learn about the some of the benefits of fasting yeah. uh, which have more to do with science than anything else so i'm, I'm all for that nice mm-hmm. awesome well thanks for this Let, let's let's get right into it um born in bangkok raised in india wow yes. is that is that right yeah so my father uh was a diplomat he's mm-hmm. retired now um and one of his well actually yeah his first posting was thailand so that's where i ended up being born in okay. bangkok now, how long were you were you there for? Do you remember? I was Thailand a baby. No, um, I mean I've been in transit in Thailand a bunch of times, so okay. I do sort of remember it as an adult. But I was a baby when I left, mm-hmm. um, and then we lived a bunch of different places. So I have these sort of vague memories of Norway, where I was a kid in kindergarten. Oh wow! Um, I have definite memories of being in Nigeria. We were in Lagos. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were in India for a bit, and then um, Australia, I have definite memories of. Okay. Because I grew up in Canberra, did my kind of high school, junior high school over there. Wow. Um, then went back to India because my father was keen on us having a grounded education in one place versus okay. this kind of three years here, three years yeah, there, yeah. yeah, that kind of a thing. Um, so stayed there for a bit. But then um, because my father got posted here and there, we had a chance to visit um, Cambodia, so and the neighboring countries over there, Vietnam, for example, um, and uh, yeah, been to Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, mm-hmm. Poland. Huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so your dad's retired. Yes. And so you've chosen to stay here <laughs> in Canada. Yes, that was one of the postings actually. <laughs> so um, he got posted here. In, I came in ni- May 1998. Yeah. Um, the idea was that I would do my master's from U of T, which is you mm-hmm. know uh, for English. It was uh, known as uh, one of the good schools. So I thought, okay, I'll do my master's here and then, you know, I'll be back to India. Um, But uh, ended up falling in love with the city. And so I stayed back with my uh, mother. So when you when you first came to Toronto, Mm -hmm. um, like what's what was the season? (laughs) So I was coming. uh, I came in May and I was coming from 40 degrees heat Uh and um, landed in Toronto. And I think it might have been you guys were just I mean, spring was kind of sort of 12, 13, (laughs) something like that. Yeah. And um, and I still remember somebody picking me up and saying, oh, we're going to have a nice summer or something of that nature. And I was just looking at her bewildered because by this time I had put on a sweater and a jacket on top. <laughs> it 
was like, what? Yeah, so it was uh, it was an interesting seasonal awakening. My goodness. So you, I mean, you came and I guess you were. It was refreshing for you. You came. It's not stifling. The heat's not stifling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get into the summer. That's nice. And then come like October, November, December. Mm-hmm. That was the first time we had that big dump of snowstorm. Remember when my last man called the army in? That was it. That was that was my first wow. experience. With winter in toronto canada mind you toronto was getting laughed at by rest of canada but that made you say i'm I'm gonna stay here (laughs) this is the snow no i I wanted to leave (laughs) um actually i was terribly homesick for the first um bunch of months as one can imagine i mean Mm -hmm. at that time i was here um and i was i mean i didn't have i mean i was doing my um master's in English which is not the largest program in uh, an academic school you Mm -hmm. know your classmates are usually 10 in number Um, and so yeah there's kind of uh, limited friends that I had at school I Mm -hmm. missed all my friends from India uh, you know and and I was in my 20s at that time so friends were like a big they're a big part of your life I mean I miss family too but more so my friends Mm -hmm. so once I started making friends over here started you know discovering kind of the local scene started understanding truly the multiculturalism of toronto starting to see that oh okay i can actually come to scarborough or those days it was either scarborough or um um, those days it was either scarborough or um, malton (laughs) i would kind of go to get these uh, you know things that i would just get in india or whatever and i was like oh okay you can do that over here and then (laughs) i remember going to all these arts performances and stuff and i was like oh there's arts and culture over here too Mm -hmm. going to the rom and going to different places yeah yeah slowly slowly that's a wild experience being able to uh as a result of your father's job being able to travel Mm -hmm. um travel the world and and and, um, i don't know i guess i guess immerse yourself in various different cultures Mm -hmm. and communities um is, is, is there anything that sticks with you to this day that, that has informed who you are? I think because I'm a diplomat's daughter. Um, That's the name of a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I self-describe myself a diplomatic brat. Um, you know, it's kind of the same as army brats or whatever. Whenever okay. you move, whenever you have to up, uproot yourself every little while, uh, you learn to adapt you know, to different places, different mm-hmm. people, that kind of a thing. And I sincerely believe that traveling is one of the best ways to learn. Um, it's one of the best ways to, uh, it not just in, not just culture and other things, but just, you know, like geography, politics, yeah. you know, different ways of thinking, philosophies. I mean, when you talk to people. Um, so I think in many ways, my father's job and, and the, <laughs> the life that it has, uh, you know, it, it made us lead has in many ways shaped who I am as a person and mm-hmm. perhaps in some ways informed my interest in journalism as well. Just wanting to find out about more about people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how, so how did, how did journalism, like how did you gravitate towards that? Was it, like was it, was there people that you enjoyed reading? Like what, what was it that, that you said, this is what I want to do? I kind of fell into it um, in the sense that, um, so my grandfather, my mother's father, um, he was an economics professor, but would 
often write these kind of op-eds. Okay. And I have, you know, lovely memories of um, being in my grandparents' house and my grandfather on this old Remington typewriter just clacking away. Mm. Um, reams of paper. You know, you used to have carbon copies those days. It's, uh, yes, you know, yes. Reams of paper um, everywhere. And my grandmother often yelling at him for <laughs> all the mess that he would create. It was like that typical you know, that journalist den type of a thing, but it was by the window uh, at a small desk. And then my mother also um, actually ended up working for one of India's um, leading national dailies. And so on the weekends often, especially in the summers, um, that's where I would find myself just kind of, one, it was AC, which was nice. Okay. (laughs) Um, But also just, you know, having these conversations, meeting editors, um, just being fascinated by mm-hmm. that kind of a job. So I initially wanted to be an academic, actually. Like, I really wanted ah. to, I was pursuing my master's. I, I, and I came to Toronto to do my master's in English, and at that time I was pursuing an English degree in India. Um, I had thought that I would teach at university level, that kind of a thing. So I was thinking of, you know, doing the whole PhD, tenure yeah. track, that yeah. type of thing. Um, but then, because those summer vacations and you know not doing much my mom used to be like make yourself useful and why don't you come to the newsroom with me and uh, just ended up falling in love with the energy yeah of it cool. all. i want to get back you said when you came to toronto you fell in love with it um and i think i, I read an interview you gave and, and you said that when you uh when you first arrived in scarborough mm-hmm. um in the late eight, eight, late 90s mm-hmm. um you f- you fell in love what what did you fall in love with i'm really curious about that like what was it about the neighborhood or the people so the thing with um when you come from a place like india mm-hmm. uh, or new delhi specifically where i have spent my formative years it's teeming with people with life with stuff just like all the time you cannot escape so in some senses toronto was a lovely escape in that you know you are a- if you want to you are able to be just silent um, but at the same time, I kind of sometimes miss that hubbub, you know, the familiar sights and sounds and that kind of a thing. So whenever I'd be in Scarborough on the TTC or just kind of walking around a couple of places and seeing, you know, um, like churches and gurdwaras and mosques kind of like along the same road or going to a samosa shop where you still can get five samosas for a dollar, yeah. <laughs> which is fascinating to me, or going to a, a ladies' beauty parlor. Um, and just the same, you know, the Bollywood songs in the background, the women kind of complaining, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of a thing. It was just, it, yeah, I don't know. There was just something about it, a vibrancy that I, um, I loved. And then at the same time, I was discovering new things. Like I hadn't, um, I hadn't really engaged with Caribbean culture, for instance. And so to kind of um, be... Uh, understand exactly what it is, understand the commonalities between Mm. India and the Caribbean, understand our colonial legacies together. Um, And then later on, like much later on, but still connect the dots between the colonial legacy of Canada. Uh, All of these things, I, I, you know, they were just fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, The discourse, Mm -hmm. community powered journalism, Mm -hmm. what attracted you? So um, having worked and still continue to often um, submit things to what we call legacy media, so your traditional mm-hmm. media, like yeah. the Star, the Globe, the CBC, um, certainly I understand the relevance of journalism, um, you know, uh, 
getting information out there and all of that sort of stuff. My beefs typically tend tended to be more arts and life, so more kind of um, uh, I, I prefer to really meet people, talk to them, engage with them. So what intrigued me about the discourse was this idea of community-driven journalism, which meant not just asking people to subscribe to it, <laughs> Mm. but also really just going into the community and talking to people, which is what had drawn me towards journalism in the first place. Going to a place, meeting people over there, meeting them in their space, mm -hmm. and trying to understand um, you know, who they are, what their lives are, what their aspirations are, um, you know, that sort of a thing. So to me, it just kind of made sense what the discourse was doing. And especially these days, when a lot of the bigger organizations are, you know, are are doing the important work of covering those bigger stories. Yeah. A lot of the smaller stories are getting missed out. Like mm -hmm. you used to have community beat reporters back in the day in these organizations, but a lot of that is getting lost, um, especially with you know all the cuts and this and that and the other. Um, and it is vital uh, for whether it's democracy, whether it's whatever you want to say, mm -hmm. for a thriving community to have a local media that is asking some questions, or just even reflecting, you know, having the people reflect back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot, I've, I've always wondered why there's not more local. And, and the reason being is that, you know, there's, oh, I mean, how many dailies do we have? Four? Four mm -hmm. dailies in, in the city? Um, and they cover the same things, right? They cover, inter there's the same international, same national news. Um, same quote-unquote pop culture stuff, the same sports story. Sometimes it's from different political angles. Um, and, and it's like a, there's an empty void on the stuff that happens, uh, not specific to Toronto City Council, but, you know, local things, you know, whether it's in the neighborhood, whether it's other city councils that are not large enough uh, to capture... Um, the provincial attention or the national attention. Um, there's, there seems to be a void there. And I'm curious whether it's just a matter of these are the times that we live in and everything is about the click. Um, and, and so we, you know, these editors or these publishers are worried about, you know, how much traffic, how many subscriptions can we get? But it seems to be a void. And, and I'm curious what your thoughts on how do we, how do we place more importance on on local media, on, on local journalism? So I think there's a couple of things that are happening over there. I think, you know, back in the day there used to be, or sort of in the older school of thought, there used to be this idea that there is um, a kind of a hierarchy, right? There is the local journalism that community uh, media is doing, you know, so you will have your local papers, right? You will have your Brampton Guardian or Scarborough Mirror, North York Mirror, that kind of a thing, and they're covering the local thing. But, you know, the Toronto Star will do the things of national import. Um, or the CBC is going to cover co you coast to coast to coast, but mm -hmm. still in a way talk about the national agenda. Like there, there is that kind of a hierarchy there, right? Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think there are many editors who did recognize that there is importance in local coverage, local beats. Um, so in the, in the grand old times when <laughs> there was lots of money <laughs> to throw at things, um, when you know newspapers were still raking in money from ads and whatnot, there used to be actually local beat reporters. They yeah. they recognized the fact that there is gaps in, you know, they used to say, oh, we need more 905 coverage, like that kind of idea. Let's cover suburban stuff. That's important. So it's it's not that they didn't recognize it. It's just that 
um, the, like I said, there is that kind of hierarchy. You know, who's 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 leading the narrative, kind of a thing. You mm -hmm. know, like I mean, in the states, like it's the New York Times and the Washington Post, and that's uncovered, deep rooted, whatever. But um, as um, uh, the industry has taken a hit, as um, you know, I mean, for various reasons, um, with the advent of online, um, you know, the internet and just being able to get your information and all that, and the sort of major disruption that's happened in the media industry, um, there has been this idea of, yeah, like what you're saying, like, you know, getting the clicks and stuff like that. So trying to do the more popular stuff, like trying to understand where that online uh, readership is going. So some, some of the resources are diverted that way. And the fact of the matter is local coverage costs like there is a cost to it if you have reporters on the ground covering local stuff that will take money yeah. so it so so yeah i mean for a lot of these kind of big legacy media um it just seemed to them to be one of the easiest things to cut that's one of yeah. the first things that went was local coverage what are your thoughts on um some people call it the i don't know, newspaper bailout or the the, the, <laughs> me, the media bailout like i can't remember the amount of funds that um that the government allocated for that but what are your thoughts on on that so um this is something that uh, the discourse or the founders of the discourse are also involved in so mm -hmm. i mean i can't make sort of grand statements about it but you know i mean the fact of the matter is that there has been in some ways um subsidizing of various media for a while like yeah. the cbc is mm. you know funded um, similarly, there are other there are other ways in which things have been funded. I mean, so my personal thoughts, um, apart from the discourse, I mean, in some senses, if the government is talking about wanting to keep democracy alive um, by having a vibrant media, I understand that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't necessarily think a bailout um, for an industry that continues to, in many ways. Uh, not innovate yeah um, it might not be the you know i don't know i mean i i have sort of questions about that yeah um i would hope that whatever next steps or strategies are evolved will take into consideration and you know this there's a bias here obviously but would take into consideration what things you know what um, uh, outfits like the discourse are doing there's several others we're sure. not alone um and certainly i mean and here i suppose you know i'll sort of laid out straight my PR piece the discourse is involved uh, in an initiative um, where we're leading kind of this idea of digital journalism innovation so mm -hmm. I have mixed feelings yeah <laughs> yeah it's interesting the amount of money that someone like a Paul Godfrey would make or it does mm. make uh, and then him asking for a, for a bailout um, and then the company's owned by like a US hedge fund or something like that. I know you're keeping quiet. You can't say too. No, I, mean, I can't say too much. I mean, this is this is you know. Why, why don't you come to the next get together of media people? You will hear lots of thoughts about this. Do you, yeah. Are you invited into those? Into I'm those? not. I mean, I'm not. I don't get to sort of breathe that rarefied air. But yeah. uh, but no, amongst journalists, I mean, they're, they're, these are conversations we are having. Like, mm -hmm. how does the industry survive? Because, you know, the thing is, the fact of the matter is, most people get into journalism not for the glory of it, right? To be honest. I mean, of course, yeah, your byline is there. If you're on TV, maybe sure. you, know, you like that sort of a thing. But for the most part, we're interested in asking questions. Mm -hmm. It's not, we're not making, you know, big bucks 
off of this. I'm not Brian Stelter or whoever else is getting tons of money. Yeah. You know, um, we are here asking questions because we're generally interested. True. Um, so today in Scarborough, mm. there's, uh, there's a bunch of stuff happening around the whole city, but there's these uh, public deputations mm -hmm. uh, in regards to the city budget. Mm -hmm. um, are you? Will you be attending that? Will you I be will covering be attending. I will at least be attending yeah. a portion of it. I don't know that I can stay for all of it, but yeah, it's happening um, uh, from three to five p.m. and then six p.m. onwards. So I will attend some of it, and I hope people show up. It's mm -hmm. not something that I can participate in, being you know a media person. Yeah. But I will be there to observe it, and I'm hoping that um, this is one of the things that came out of our some of our coverage um, of the municipal elections that happened. I think people often um, aren't engaged on that level mm -hmm. like they're engaged perhaps on a federal and maybe on a provincial level but when it comes to municipal uh, politics oftentimes it's uh, as if it's like they don't they don't seem to understand how many uh, decisions that are made mm -hmm. are actually affect the probably the most important yeah and if we want to really talk about corruption and all these other type of things this also happens on municipal level like mm -hmm. how do funds get allocated and you know who yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just really curious about why it's it's taking us so long to figure out some of these questions that seem quite commonsensical. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether it's the TTC, whether it's affordable housing and things like that. So I'm hoping people turn up at the public deputation and really ask questions. Um, make I mean, of course, make their presentations, but really ask questions in the sense telling counselors that, um, that they're watching and, and they're yeah. seeing how they're voting. Doesn't matter, though. <laughs> what so here's my thing like does it does it like a hundred people can show up mm -hmm. um, and I'll talk for five minutes or whatever yes um, isn't the decision already made like like does any of this matter you know so when I saw where money goes to mm -hmm. um, and maybe I knew it before maybe I didn't but I was like why is police number one mm -hmm. like I was shocked and then, and then housing was seven or eight it was, it was down Sixth. there sixth and I go that is strange. You would think that housing would be at the top if for no other other reason than um, real estate is so expensive. Mm. Uh, and if it's only at, you said six, mm -hmm. if it's only at six, then how little are they actually, uh, like what little impact are, is there actually taking place mm -hmm. if it's only, and, and, I, and I go, If me and a hundred other people go and, and we and we complain or we say this is my thoughts, like does it matter? I think it does. I mean, this is the same reason why uh, what happened in the municipal elections happened. You know, everybody kind of is. Eh, does it matter? Like, do mm. I really need to go? You know, and then there are other people who did go. Like, even you know, so with the municipal elections, what happened was the wards got cut down. There was so much confusion. But there were a couple of people who were so dedicated that they went to like two or three polling stations before they put their vote. And there were others who just couldn't be bothered because they thought that this was just a sham. Yeah. You know, but then we ended up with the council that we ended up with. Mm -hmm. So it's like, does it matter? Yeah, it matters. If you tell your local representatives that you're watching, you're listening, um, you know, okay, maybe things aren't going to change for the next, until the next election year. Um, but in the meanwhile, if you keep on attending these little things, keep on telling them that you're there, keep on voicing their concerns, you know, and keep on voicing concerns in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah. I think it, it should matter. Mm. 
And but maybe is, I'm just jaded. I, <laughs> I, but this is this is exactly why this is one of those things you know where local journalism is important. Mm. Where this is why we need to constantly be asking those questions, because otherwise, if there's nobody asking the questions, then everybody just kind of, you know, it's status quo. It's like, why, why should I care? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe we need maybe we need more people like the discourse to to hold, to not just tell stories. Of what's going on, mm-hmm. but to to hold our our municipal leaders to account, mm-hmm. um, rather than we only hear about, for example, the Jim Carrey Giannis's whenever he's doing something crazy. You know, uh, why can't we hear about um, our councillors when the media does an investigation or they they hold them to account based on voting records? Mm-hmm. Because you know, who is it, Matt Elliott? Um, mm-hmm. He continually publishes how people vote, mm-hmm. but he's the only one mm-hmm. that that does that. And mm-hmm. then, and then there's no one else to go up and ask a counselor, mm-hmm. "Why are you voting this way?" Mm-hmm. Right? And and it, it's sort of like like if if the media is not going to ask, mm-hmm. then who is going to? Then then we don't know. Mm-hmm. That people don't know if if the media is not there. Mm-hmm asking these questions i guess that's another maybe i'm just ranting (laughs) (laughs) no but it sort of goes to show you uh the impact that you can have with these kind of smaller Mm -hmm. you know what what are considered small beats yeah the impact is huge so you know i'm happy that matt elliott is there asking those questions he might be the lone voice right now in city hall (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but you know with him asking questions about where is that mystery meet money coming from or going or whatever in that city hall budget the mm-hmm. big hole that's there um, is important uh, certainly we hope that the discourse is able to fill some gaps we hope there are others that also come in that sense we're very collegial um, you know it's not just about us sort of laying out the agenda or whatever we want to work uh, with whoever we can is there is there fear like, like I don't know whether you, you talk with other journalists or um, other people um, that are more plugged into what's happening with politics in the city. Is there fear that there will be more meddling from the province into the affairs of the city? I mean, I'm, I know that we've heard that the TTC eventually is going to be uploaded. Mm. Uh, but outside of that, you know, whether it becomes, you know, where the city can spend its money and what the city does with its with its budget and so on and so forth. Um. This is traditionally, again, as you pointed out, not my beat. But mm-hmm. I think that there is this sense of, not fear, but as definite a sense of we need to keep an eye on this type of a thing. Um, where, you know, uh, take for instance what happened in the elections. Like the fact that the province can just tell the city that you are actually not going to have 47 wards, but 25. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the city loses in a court case. Um you know, shows you something. So we need to be vigilant. We need to be asking questions. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to more about you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the first story um, that you wrote? Your first, like, paid gig story? Do yeah. you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was in uh, New Delhi. And um, so this was, I, ha- I I was a university student. Okay. And um, the place where I, it's kind of hilarious that this relates to Scarborough in a, wow. in a bizarre way, but the place that I lived at, there were no buses. <laughs> this relates to Scarborough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, 
seriously. And as a university student without a bus option, it was just horrible. Like, yeah. you know, because especially in the summers, you had to like walk this ridiculous half an hour distance. Even just, a diplomat's daughter? Even a, oh, you don't know my father. Anyhow, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no special favors. No special favors. No, the official car was only for the office and, and not for personal use. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, and um, what a lot of, um, especially women, and we were all young women, used to end up doing was hitchhike mm. um, from where I stayed to the nearest bus stop, um, which presented all sorts of issues. Um, I mean, I wrote it as a kind of a fun piece, but I was also presenting the idea of, you know, there's risk of safety and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that was my first gig. Wow. And did that like that? This is what I'm doing for the rest. Was that was that like a? There was a thrill of seeing my name in the newspaper for yeah. the first time. I think I uh, showed that 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 my copy of that newspaper got very ratty. <laughs> I showed do it. You, to so a whole you don't have it people. anymore? I do. I still oh, do. Oh, you do? Yeah. Nice. It's, it's in the basement somewhere. <laughs> do you remember your first Canadian piece? Um. So. I actually st- uh, joined the Toronto Star as an editorial. In- I actually joined the Toronto Star as an editorial intern, and before that, I had interned at Saturday Night Magazine. So there were these. In fact, there were. Um, oh right! So I had done one piece for the National Post on cricket, because. Mm. Um, because you're from India. I'm from India. <laughs> I grew up watching cricket. <laughs> Still like the five-day <laughs> tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, where you break for tea, <laughs> have lunch in the middle. It's very civilized. Um, and I happened to find an editor who was sympathetic. He had had a British education. Oh, and okay. so uh, understood where I was coming from. So I wrote about, um, there was this sort of cricket community. So I wrote about that. There were actually these couple of um, articles that came out at the same time. So that was my first thing. I d- and that did that for the National Post. I also happened to write a piece for Saturday Night Magazine about mangoes because I was missing mangoes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I saw the mangoes over here. I'm like, you guys. Are they too small? Are they not sweet oh enough? Oh, God. Just, <laughs> they are definitely not sweet enough. Okay. In India, we have like over, I can't remember now, but I think it was definitely over 50 varieties of mangoes. Wow. Yeah, just from one, one place. My son's nickname is Mango. Is that he right? just loves mangoes. <laughs> i got to get him some Indian mangoes. Sure. <laughs> um, and then for the star, I because it so happened that... Um, it was around Eid um, that our actual reporting started. I ended up doing a piece about fasting and feasting mm. during Eid. So, yeah, those were some of my first Canadian pieces. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Um, what's with you and fountain pens? <laughs> I love them. Do you I have, love like, getting a collection? F- I do. Um, there's some in my bag. Um yeah, I mean, I grew up using fountain pens as a child, and I used to find them annoying at that time. But as you, you have to hold, like you have to write it in a certain way or hold them in a certain way. No, it wasn't that. It was just the fact that you would sometimes get these inky hands, which was kind of frustrating. Um, and then you know, because you have to carry your bottle of ink with you. Ah, sorry, I'm just getting it. Okay, yeah, it was just that you. You will see. Those are my work pens. Um, fountain pens uh <laughs> so yeah as a kid you would get inky hands uh sometimes that bottle that you would carry would leak and then your school bag would get 
instincts yeah. on them. So yeah, but um, now I mean, especially in these days where we're just on our phones, typing mm-hmm. messages or computers, I love to actually sit down occasionally and just write. I still make notes using my pens, um, and occasionally write the odd letter that I still will mail. So is there like a community? Yes. There is? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. There is, um, in Toronto, there is a pen society that meets quite regularly. A pen society? Yeah. It's the Toronto Fountain Pen Society. I mean, there's a couple. Very, but sounds very, like, <laughs> snobby. <laughs> it's not. It's actually the loveliest. And there are people from everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's, like, so diverse. And then also, um, not just in terms of... Um, our cultural backgrounds, but also in terms of, you know, who we are. There's academics, journalists, but also software engineers and, you know, yeah, like a whole bunch of mm. different people come together and geek out on pens. Wow. I, when I went to my first one, I was a bit surprised. I was like, how, like, seriously, how long can you sit around talking about pens? But yeah, the, the minutes just ticked by. I didn't even know. Is Are, are there pens that are very... Like 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 high end fountain pens mm-hmm. and low end fountain pens, mm-hmm. yeah. Like so, what would be like a high end? I am not an aficionado to that extent, but I would I can tell you the very very high end. But I mean, or you know, a lot of the wise, Japanese, uh, some of the Japanese um, fountain pens are just beautiful, and just in terms of their craftsmanship, mm-hmm. um, they're super expensive. Um, and then also the nibs that they use, you know, when you get into like. Uh, a gold nib and things like that. They they become. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's made out of gold, <laughs> and they're flexible. Um, they, I mean, they write beautifully. I have tried some of them out. I'm wow. I'm never going to buy one of them because I cannot spend thousands of dollars uh-huh. on a pen. And some of my favorite pens are, you know, like five bucks each. Wow. Yeah. So. I would look like five bucks for like a pack. I know, but just think of it, that you can use that fountain pen again and again and again. Mm, sure, fair enough. Mm-hmm. It's actually just environmentally it friendly. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you talk about writing letters. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the old style of, you know, dear, Getting so, a paper and out, yeah. dear so and so, what, you know, how are you, here's what's going on. Yeah, and I know it's going to take, wow. especially when I'm doing some international, I know it's going to take at least a week to get there yeah but there is still that romance of, of one writing the letter and then um oftentimes i don't know if they've received it but when my friends receive the letter they're just so happy that mm. somebody took the time and cared to write a letter wow. even though i know exactly what's going on by facebook like i know what's happening i think it's been like 20 plus years since i wrote a letter wow really i wrote yeah. one last month so yeah. i haven't been doing it as regularly but mm. That's fascinating. What you know? What one of my friends does? He writes like on the regular, like every month. He's writing because mm-hmm. he'll take he'll take photos. It'll show up on 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 Twitter that mm-hmm. he's writing letters and you know he's got proper paper, um, pens out and everything and mm-hmm. o- envelopes and he, yeah. There's something I don't know. He's also a storyteller. Yeah. yeah, I mean it tends to be a certain type of people for sure, but also if you enjoy any type of ritual. Um, it's a ritual. So Is there a special tea or coffee that you drink? <laughs> no, but you know, it's <laughs> like you have special you have your favorite pens or you like certain inks or okay. you know, you like a certain type of paper. So Is yeah. there a certain place where you write your letters? 
Uh, or it could be anywhere. Just anywhere, as really? long as it's okay. comfortable, the table. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Um, we've talked a lot of, about a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. India versus Canada. Mm. Um, there must be like a lot of similarities, a lot of stark differences. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the similarities in regards to, um, I guess let's talk about either the stuff that you do in journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the similarities and differences between journalism in India and in, in, uh, in Canada? So um, journalism in India is, is similarly um, at a point of transformation as it is in North America <clears throat> in that um, it, I mean, it's a vibrant journalist, it's a vibrant um, industry, journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's still tons of print paper and stuff and people actually buy them and read them and things yeah. like that. But there's also um, a sense of um, journalism kind of kowtowing sometimes to uh, the political parties, a bunch of them anyway. Really? Uh-huh, yeah, so some of the, uh, you will see th- the way some of the editorials are written and things like that. Um, in certain Is papers, that like a political bias? Like certain newspapers yeah. are going to be right-wing, other ones are going to be left-wing? Kind Is it of, like that? But sometimes or? it's also just straight up, they'll just, lip, you know, kind of uh, basically just follow whatever is being said. So there's a a fair amount of uh, independent journalism online that has sort of come up. You know, journalists who have cut their teeth and some of the best media houses in Delhi have, um, some of the best media houses in India have launched their own initiatives. And so, um, yeah, there is that kind of, uh, I don't know, energy over there. Um, I sometimes find it a bit frustrating because when you turn on the TV in India, often it will seem more akin to Fox News, just in, in the way that they yell and shout. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you have to see this John Oliver piece um, on, on one of the news anchors in India. It's, it's hilarious. Um, so I get a headache when I, so I do not, um, I, if I'm in India, I, I will mostly get my news via print or online mm-hmm. like I do not even turn on they the literally TV. just yell at each other it's crazy like it's wow. yeah, yeah you and I will watch and you know we'll have a cup of tea and just laugh <laughs> it's so ridiculous wow. um so in that sense I suppose there are similarities in that it is alive it's it's vibrant it's entertainment it's, is it more like we need we need eyeballs yeah I mean like there that? is a kind of yeah there is it's it's news has become entertainment yeah. in many ways so there is there is that over there too mm-hmm. um, the differences I guess is that we don't in India they don't have that kind of um, crunch it's coming but they haven't so far like there were so many subscribers to print journalists uh, there were so many subscribers to print uh, papers that they weren't quite in the crisis mode that often you know you find Canadian print media in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are sort of subtle differences as well. Interesting. Um, s- slight slight detour here, but so what? Do you, what are your thoughts on, you know, when I guess the closest example I, uh, we have here is is um, you know south of the border with Donald Trump uh, attacking the media as the enemy mm-hmm. of the of the people, and, and um, it, it probably happens in other places around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, but mm-hmm. when when you hear things like that as mm-hmm. a journalist, mm-hmm. um, is it just you know, here's just another person, or, or or is it can can you feel that there's a change in how um, people look at you and your profession? 
So there has always been this sense, there, there's always been a sense of distrust sometimes mm. of journalists. I think a lot of times people think that journalism is biased. And this is something that is, <laughs> it's, I've been hearing for a long time. It's not new. Um, you know, especially when you do stories. Now, I'm not going to deny that there isn't bias in journalism. There is. Um, but oftentimes, even when you do things with the best of interests and, you know, try and do your due diligence and all the reporting, whatever, if it, ha it if it's a bad news story, then it can be seen as, oh, the media always just wants to portray us in a negative light. Mm. Um, so I think oftentimes people or the average person um, confuses the industry with the person type of a thing, right? A journalist often is just trying to do his or her job and trying to get at that story. Mm -hmm. uh, the industry might have other um, aspirations or, or whatever, like, you know, they might, uh, the business of journalism might be different, um, but the editorial, the average everyday today journalist has a different idea, hopefully. Um, these days it's more and more increasing to hear things about fake news and you know whatever yeah. else um, and there is that I mean the fact of the matter is there is fake news and the fact of the matter is there is an increased bias that we see so I cannot say that people are completely wrong um, and when people hold journalists to task for inaccuracies or um, whatever else they think um, we did wrong that is good but at the same time I also hope that people understand that that we're not all out to do gotcha journalism. Mm. Like most of us, for the most part, are really interested in trying to find the answers. Sometimes people talk to us, sometimes people don't. Um, so yeah, but it has become a little bit more difficult these days. Hmm. Um, you talked about um, corruption in, in politics here. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember going to uh, visiting East Africa for the first time and um, visiting my my uncle's shop and him saying, yeah, you know, some, some guy from the government or police was just here and I had to give him an envelope. Mm -hmm. And I go, really? He mm -hmm. goes, that's the cost of doing business. Yep. Um, politics in India. Oh, God. Is it, is it, it was interesting because in, in, in Kenya there, there was an election happening and there was pride in one of the um, politicians campaigning for claiming there's no corruption. He's going to make sure there's no corruption. I'm going, but that's a thing. So I'm curious how, how it is in India compared to Canada. Oh, wow. I mean, that is one definite difference between wow. politics in India and politics in Canada. In Canada, I think it's, it's so much more sort of subversive it's so much more subtle mm. there's nothing subtle about corruption and, and politics uh, in India the, the scale of the scandals really? is mind-boggling at times and you know and when you talk about you know when you were talking about being jaded and being you know with municipal politics over here just imagine the scale in India and people just kind of throwing up their arms and saying yeah, that's the way it is this is this is this is how you, how it goes so um, in that sense, I suppose I'm thankful <laughs> <laughs> to be here. I mean, mind you, I do miss some of the, the drama and the color that comes. I, again, politics was never my beat. And I always sure. had the uh, sort of, um, I, I have the highest regard for those uh, political reporters who follow the money and all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But my God, the, and the thing with the, in, with, uh, in the Indian cases, it, 
they, it also, I mean, we have challenges over here with freedom of information and all of that sort of stuff. But try doing some of those things in India. It is ridiculous. Really? Yeah, it is. It is crazy. So my full props to those journalists who uncover that sort of wow. crime. It's just, I cannot even imagine. Let's get back to you. Okay. Um, as you can see, this is not my full-time game. <laughs> We're just all over the place here. But um, uh, you, you've, you, ha you have a love for Bollywood, for Bollywood movies. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure everyone from India likes Indian movies. No, but, but no. most of them do. But you have a podcast. I do. About that. So tell me, how did this get started? Um, I grew up watching Bollywood movies in mm -hmm. India, and I was the kid um, who would... So back in the day before uh, liberalization, TV used to be... Uh, movies on TV would come every Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And I was the kid who would watch each and every movie that came on those weekends um, in any regional language, whatever, because India has you know so many regional languages, um, more than 20 official languages. Um, yeah, so... Uh, and then uh, when you know, satellite and cable TV came, it was just ridiculous. I would just watch any movie that would come on TV. In fact, I remember my mother and my sister would be like, you, why are you watching this? This makes no sense, but I don't know. Something about it just captivated me. Um, when after I started um, in Toronto, um, it was interesting. I mean, at, at first when I used to see the way that, you know, kids growing up over here, South Asian kids um, would connect with India through Bollywood, I used to find it very strange because Bollywood is not India. Um, but mm. in some ways, I kind of understand it now in the sense that the language is there, some of the colors are there, the songs are there, that kind of a thing. So but how is it, so how is it not India when you, when you say that? Bollywood is, is a fantasy world. Like it's three hours of, uh, you know, uh, I mean, and this is what I'm talking about, sort of stereotypical Bollywood, the kind of big budget kind of dramas that happen the melodrama where it's insane plots and you know yeah 16 costume, costume changes, changes. <laughs> 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 that sort of stuff that's not real life in india these yeah. days uh, the indian film industry is producing much more interesting and, and variety of cinema including including the 16 costume changes uh, variety as well um but yeah i mean to me it was problematic that you know uh to see young people over here, especially when I first came here, to see them kind of equate Indian culture with that, you mm -hmm. know, whereas I had grown up with the classical arts and the literature and, you know, the theater of India and stuff like that. So that was kind of my bugbear. Mm. Um, but in many ways, popular culture, I've grown to appreciate how popular culture is one way to access elements of something. Um, and in, in many ways, I can appreciate how popular culture allows us to engage um, and talk about things and these days with Indian cinema uh, actually producing a lot of interesting content sometimes problematic sometimes like really interesting uh, politically and culturally astute stuff um, about topics of misogyny or LGBTQ rights or hmm. such a different you know socioeconomic stuff like all of these things I've all I've thought that these films are um, a, a, a lens to explore these ideas. And this was what I was trying to do with my um, stories that I was trying to do on Bollywood as an arts reporter. So with budgets being slashed, um, oftentimes I would find myself pitching all these, what I thought were very interesting ideas, but yeah. them not getting anywhere, just lack of space, budget, blah, blah. So I started a podcast. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 
And then how how is that coming along? You enjoy doing it? Yeah, I mean, it's a passion project, yeah. uh, much like yours, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know how it is. Uh, you have to kind of motivate yourself yeah. to keep on at it. But it is so much fun. And me and my co-host, Besaki, uh, we get together regularly. We have a laugh. You know, we talk about movies we've seen, movies we're hoping not to see. Because... <laughs> The garbage is still being produced. Mm. Um, yeah, it is a lot of fun. That's so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, with the discourse, mm-hmm. uh, you guys, uh, so we're recording this in uh, early February, mm-hmm. February the 7th. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at the end of this month, you guys are hosting mm-hmm. a story circle mm-hmm. um, topic on transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us, what, what is a story circle and for those people that will attend, what, what's the, what are they going to get out of it? So often as journalists, we are trying to find um, just real stories of everyday experiences of people. And these can become difficult to access because, you know, one, just time um, and two, I mean, there's so many reasons. There's a distrust of media in general, especially these days. Um, so story circles um, are a way in which we are hoping we are able to somewhat um, alter the situation so that we get more authentic stories, more kind of lived experiences, more personal type of things, um, where we ask the attendants, um, we ask the attendees to come and share. Uh, whatever their experiences are with that particular topic in mind. And we all sit in a circle because that's how we used to do things and and just tell stories and we listen to each other because that is one of the foundations of being a good journalist is to really listen. Um, So that is the point of organizing the story circle. Um, We, um, in in our community-driven model of journalism, the way we actually do journalism at the discourse is by going in communities and then asking community people what are the topics they want us to uh, look into versus us deciding mm-hmm. uh, that these are the topics of the day. So um, transit had come up actually as the second uh, topic in our first round of community survey that we had done. And it's something that you, <laughs> if you're in Scarborough, you're going to hear about the transit yeah. like on the daily. So, um, so yeah, so we just thought that uh, our second story circle should focus on transit, given that it's such a topic of conversation. Um, it seems also um, relevant because of the city council budget that has recently um, been introduced and is going through various motions before it finally gets passed in March. Um, so, yeah, it sounded like something we should do. Thanks so much for joining me this morning Thanks, it's been Marie. a great 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 chat it has been such a pleasurable experience just sitting and talking to you